You're listening to part two of episode two of the Piloted Podcast. I'm Kyra Kellowan, an international educator with experience working in schools and universities across four countries. If you've listened to part one, you'll know that this podcast is interested in educators who have been doing things differently for some time, long before COVID-19, because they saw ways to trailblaze through traditional education models. You'll also know that Claire and David Price's work focuses on project-based learning as a toolkit for educators to help move students' interests and abilities beyond just good test scores and into the realm of real-world relevance. On site at Hilltop Road School in Sydney for the educator training they delivered, I caught up personally with Claire and David to ask them about some of their favourite projects. If you haven't had a chance to read David's books, Open and Education Forward, they are highly recommended pieces of informed optimism about the democratisation of learning. And they tell us why all of us in a classroom, online, open plan or otherwise, should have a voice. Thanks to both of you for taking time out from lunch to have a chat. It's been a great day and a half that I've been here with you at Hilltop Road, seeing a little bit about how you do the project-based learning uh, training. And I'd like to ask you a bit about how you've come to this moment, why you feel that project-based learning is a thing you wanted to take up. What makes you continue to come year on year to do this training, specifically at this school? How have you seen it sort of come on from the beginning? I think if the sole purpose of education is to get kids to be able to remember over a short period of time and then regurgitate information you probably can't beat direct explicit instruction but I think if you believe as we do that given the state of the world as it is now and what's coming down the track in terms of automation climate emergency I think that we have to go beyond simply getting kids to get good test scores so it is the the fact that each project is trying to solve a real world problem is finding prototypes or solutions that could be socially useful. I think it's also about inculcating a set of values and attitudes that that we want our young people to have, because we're at a very difficult point, I think, in, in, uh, in the world generally, culturally. And there are culture wars being fought all over the globe, and it seems to me that we need our kids to be kind and and generous and trying to make the world a better place yeah so that's one of the reasons why we do it what we just saw we saw presentations from kindergarten all the way through to year six in this school and the theme across all of them was that those students were fantastically confident their sort of form of expression seemed very very well practiced impressive in terms of what they could read what they what they had come up with in terms of the ideas that they were Mm. working on were those guiding questions, you know, do you think this school has become really good at working yeah, on guiding I mean, questions that work for the environment? Yeah, we've been working with this school the best part of seven years, starting with the whole sort of staff training um, weekend. You know, what we have here is a classic inner city sort of school um, with a group of amazingly dedicated teachers who are really rigorous in terms of their planning and preparation and they're totally dedicated to this school, these children and and the community. And I think what we've seen them, how they've adopted um, and adapted PBL for their context is very much in terms of how they can tap into their students' passions, their students' interests and their students' character. Mm. 
and really support them to develop us as young, young people and into young adults. And like you say, we've just seen a couple of the girls presenting a project that they actually began in year four and now they're in year six and they still are involved in that, that project yeah. on their own accord. And joined others um, together And have well. joined others, Connect you know, others. so essentially they're, they're, it's a, it was a recycling project in year four that's sparked their interest. You know, we've followed those girls' progress as well, how they just became so passionate about how they could raise awareness and also solve the problem in their own school by collecting recyclable plastic and cans and bottles and at the same time raise funds, raise awareness, yeah. reduce waste and, and learn. then and learn. actually learn yeah. and align with the curriculum. Well I yeah. think that's that's right and, and often these kind of socially purposeful projects of which you know Hilltop pretty much everything they do would fall into that category but they're seen as you know yeah, nice to do, but but are you actually? Is this actually helping kids' employment prospects, or is this is this going to get them through their exams better? What we've just seen are a bunch of really confident presenters mm. uh, who are at some point going to enter a world where that ability to present effectively and and convincingly is a skill that employers are crying out for. Mm. And I think we're also seeing the development of. Uh, a set of values that, again, um, if we look at the way modern business management is going, values matter. So if we're starting to get more of the kind of servant leadership idea of, of, of CEOs, then clearly these kids are developing their leadership skills as well as everything else. Well, I think, you know, on the knowledge acquisition, I'm also convinced, you know, year on year we come back to this school and kids often present a project they did last year just because uh, it's usually early in the term. Mm -hmm. So we're reflecting back on the, the projects that they did last year. They speak incredibly well about the content. And they and, remember it. And they totally yeah. remember it. So if we're looking for that kind of knowledge acquisition and ability to perhaps pass tests, etc., then it, it feels that they're, they're also very much getting those skills, plus all of this other layer. Except the system doesn't reward you for no, what you can no. remember in three years' time. Mm. It just rewards you in terms of what, what you just did, and then you sat the test. So what we've seen, uh, and, and we've been lucky enough to work all around the world with, with great PBL schools, and I would say that they, they get slightly better than average test scores, but it isn't the test scores that are driving them. It is getting kids into college, generally. Mm. Um, and, and we're also seeing colleges who are less interested in students' test scores and actually want to see their portfolio. What have they done? It's about the application of knowledge, and I think that's a powerful aspect. These are rich projects with lots of learning opportunities built into them but it's also about what the kids can do with the knowledge that they're gaining through these projects and experiences. You know, a big element of project-based learning is the connection to the real world, to specialists, to community members, to organisations, charities. And th those connections, however big or small, are just giving the children a sense of how you can apply knowledge, how people out there in the real world are operating. And can be anything more practical when yeah, you think about a university application. Yeah, so. very inspiring. Yeah. Um, and and, and yeah. what it means to be a good citizen. Mm -hmm. And I think we've we've overlooked that. Um, we've, we've lost our way in, in, in many countries. And somehow we've got to get back to that. Because, you know, we're at a time when 
we've got such low expectations of our students and what they're capable of doing. I mean, we've got a 17-year-old Swedish kid who's just organised the biggest demonstration the world's ever seen, you know. So to decry the concept of learner agency as something that's nice to have but not essential, it's crazy. It's, it is the essential. It is the business of learning. You know, I think in, in a project there's a lot of trust built with the teacher, with their teammates, with the community people that they're working with. And I feel there's one side of education currently that has taken all the trust away for yeah. both the children and the teachers. Mm -hmm. And with, a, you know, some vain attempt to kind of maybe control kids more or, a, or make them behave better. Mm. My feeling is if you, get, if you get kids involved in work that they're passionate about, you don't need to worry about that side of things. It's just counts. And I've seen it so many times, firsthand, in my own teaching experience, but also you know, with all of these amazing schools, we're very privileged to be able to connect with. So I, my next question, I mean, we've seen that PBL works well for students and that they clearly enjoy it if it's done well. What would you say to teachers who want to be able to have the freedom to explore project-based learning, but they don't know where to start? Maybe they're in a school that wouldn't allow them to look at it. How would you encourage them to start gathering resources? How would you give some like rays of hope to those teachers well, that want to try this? I've changed my view on this over the years we, we you'll see this afternoon we'll have some final questions concerns that people might have and you can almost bet that one of the concerns will be I work in a school that isn't really supportive of projects what can I do and I used to kind of give an answer well you know find yourself a little space where innovation can flourish or find some colleagues that might uh, support what you're doing frankly I'm more of the opinion now that find yourself a school that yeah. is really going to get behind it because yeah. I think if you haven't got the support of your principal or your yeah. leadership Senior team leadership. it's too hard because you know although we always say PBL isn't a sort of distinct pedagogy it is very much a wraparound it, it can encompass all sorts of approaches to, to teaching that you would traditionally do it does take a bit of a, a flip, um, a, 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 you know, a mental a, leap. A mental leap. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of, it, it encompasses quite a lot of pre-planning and yes. preparation prior to projects, and it's a slightly shifted role around facilitation um, for the teacher once the project's really up and running. So that all needs that senior leadership support creating a culture of critiquing the school, developing your connections with community, having, you know, time and support to do that. And if you're a teacher who's, you know, coming towards the end of your career, I could quite easily see why would you feel like, you know, you, you wanted to make this change. You've prepared your lessons for the last 20, 30 years, mm. and now all of a sudden there aren't lessons in the same way that you would have felt comfortable you're not the person necessarily standing at the front so what we see I suppose in a profile is quite a lot of young teachers who frankly they start to get disillusioned because it wasn't what they came into teaching for so they come across projects and think yeah that's that's what I want to do yeah. or you will get mid-career teachers who are thinking well I know you know I've got all the basics I can manage a classroom the behavior is not an issue 
but it, they just learn bit bored. I think, to be fair, at any end of the spectrum, we've met teachers of all ages who this has really resonated. Because essentially what I think our work is about is is that future-focused uh, teaching and learning yeah. and really having a, an eye on what our children need, as Dave sort of talked about earlier, moving into to the world ahead. So schools that adopt projects, there's lots of other interesting innovations or um, approaches being adopted which give that sense that you know they yeah. have a, a whole view of the child um, and they become a hub as well for interaction with these external yeah agencies yeah. well and that's that's what's happening here oh, at Hilltop Road yeah, it's, this is a great it's, it's not just a, a hub for the incredible community engagement that they've managed to succeed in doing or the the university people who, who can't wait to come in and, and do a session it's also this amazing hub of like-minded schools yeah. and they've built that around yeah. project-based learning that can only be a good thing and tomorrow we're going to be doing a kind of a day called inspire and improve which again is very closely delivered with the hilltop team and that's working with our wider network of schools who've been on this journey for a while and essentially it's a day to help celebrate some of their successes but also highlight the ongoing challenges and work in a very reflective and um supportive way both with the Hilltop team and with the, the people who are coming. Increasingly it's not about us standing up and saying you know there is one true way to do project based learning. Yeah. It's just about how how you collectively uh, solve this problem. If you could only ever work with school kids for the rest of your careers or you could only ever train educators for the rest of your careers which would you choose and why? <laughs> Oh, I think that that's a, it's an impossible question in a way. I mean, we're both at it's time. It's been a long time since we've yeah, no, regularly exactly. talked. I mean, and people. it's a classic kind of issue, isn't it? For many teachers who are passionate about teaching, they somehow end up in the role of training other teachers, and that, in a sense, is both Dave and I. I think also we're of an age where. Uh, it would exhaust us oh, it would, being it in would. the classroom But to be fair to us, we always love the opportunity to work with children. So yeah. whenever we can, um, we will lead sessions with children, model sessions, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, we always love to kind of roll our sleeves up and, and, and work directly with children. You know, our sort of focus has absolutely shifted to the educators and, and how we can support them in their roles. We all agreed that traditional school models that are solely focused on testing and data-based outcomes are missing out on a huge opportunity to create engaged and socially responsible beings with a sense of enterprise. We wanted to create people who actually like what they decide to do in life and do so for the good of others. David's book gives examples of all kinds of social projects that were born of people sharing their knowledge and their passions. The book purports that because of those driven by technology and shaped by common values, Going open has transformed the way we live. Faced with an irreversible shift, he says, in our social lives, it's not so much a question of if our workplaces, schools and colleges go open, but when. Let's just think about that for a moment. David wrote Open in 2013. Seven years on, here we are in the middle of a global pandemic lockdown. Schools are having to teach online. Teachers are offering their subject-specific help to their networks on social media who suddenly have to homeschool their kids. Minecraft is making its educational worlds available for free to help pupils no longer able to attend school because of this virus. And other even more huge businesses are giving away their products and services for free. 
Audible, the subsidiary of Amazon, announced this week that for as long as schools are closed, we're open. Kids everywhere can instantly stream an incredible collection of stories, including titles across six different languages that will help them continue dreaming, learning and just being kids. Even whole countries. In Estonia, a digital embracing nation, the Ministry of Education and Research announced the entire country is humbled to share all of its digital education tools to support other countries' education systems during the COVID-19 crisis. Could we ever have imagined a world that looked this way in 2013? Well, David did. He knew that those who embraced and adopted the principles of open would be the winners of this social and technological revolution our generation is witnessing. So the question is then, where is there evidence of this currently being reflected in our school curricula? Last questions, because I know we're short on time, we've got to get back. What Name a, a sort of the most outstanding project that you have come across or uh, that you can remember that you've you've seen or that maybe you've been presented gosh there's there's kind of so many one project that they did here which i i still think although it's quite small scale i think it's a fantastic project given australia's long-standing challenges around indigenous culture and how to respect that was that the students created uh, a project which was based upon indigenous history key moments from Indigenous history linked to an appreciation of art movements, um, particularly in Europe, of the uh, 19th and 20th century and they combined the two in a really creative way which uh, led to a a public exhibition but they also invited the um, elders from the Indigenous community to come here and one of the elders said I never thought I'd live to see this day um, when when young people were so interested in our history, and and, and I, I think, think that it, was and it was powerful. representing it in a very powerful way because they were inspired by you know impressionism or fauvism or cubism in terms of their artwork, but it really developed both their visual literacy but also their you know historical kind of cultural historical yeah. cultural context. At the other end of the scale, I guess, would be. One of our favourite schools anywhere in the world is the Liga Leadership Academy in Phnom Penh in Cambodia and I was there uh, when the project concluded uh, and it concluded with a sizable cheque being written for the students so they were, they were kind of doing it for money as well as for love. But actually it was 17-year-old students who had been commissioned by an early years centre nearby to revitalise the curriculum and I think it, it goes to the low expectations that we often have on these kids because they, they took it seriously, they looked at the national curriculum, but they they were invited in because they were a project-based learning school mm-hmm. and they wanted that experience that the students had had themselves to translate into something that young kids could have. And they produced a report, they rewrote the curriculum, wow. and it, we, we keep putting limits on what young people are capable of doing mm. when the, the reality is it should be the other way around we should be encouraging them to get involved in big ambitious projects mm. because every time in our experience every time you give them a bit of responsibility they'll rise, they'll rise to, to it the challenge, yeah. Yeah. well it's been a real pleasure um, I know we have to go back to lunch so thanks very much for your time you're very welcome welcoming me on the journey welcome. with you yeah, well. yeah you've been great thank you David also blogs at engagedlearning.co.uk and I would definitely recommend following him on Twitter 
at David Price OBE. In episode three, I'll be talking to Mia Eskeland, co-founder of Amala, formerly called Sky School, which has developed the first high school diploma for refugees and young persons who are displaced. We'll learn about her inspiring journey to create a much-needed solution to one of the world's biggest problems, using education as a force for unmistakable change and opportunity. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. You can stay up to date on PilotEd by following us on Instagram and Facebook at The Piloted Podcast, or you can say hi on Twitter, just at The Piloted. Thanks for tuning in.